NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel the gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast on Fox Sports. The second test, it is done, it is dusted, Australia 2-0 up, and wow, there are so many things to take away from this game. We thought after the first test that there were many things to speak about. Adelaide's just thrown up all sorts of curveballs here. Joe Root's decision to win the toss and bowl, Steve Smith's follow-on decision, all the sledging that happened, the reviews, the ups, the downs, Alain Dar getting it wrong all the time, and the other New Zealand bloke, the umpire whose name escapes me. That's good research. Uh, Kate McGregor, we're trying to get Kate McGregor uh, on the podcast today, live from Adelaide, but as you know, everyone's trying to get out of Adelaide, so that could be mayhem. But the big news this week is that Mark Butcher is on the show and we're going to get his opinions on Ashes and also what's happening in India and Sri Lanka. That's a wild series in itself. My name is Ian Higgins and I am joined, as ever, by my friends, your friends, Australia's friends, Sam Perry and David Edwards. Boys, welcome to the show. Adelaide, Australia, 2-0 up. Is this series (laughs) over, Sam Perry? (laughs) <laughs> just oh getting more elaborate by the week. I love it. And even though it was an elaborate and wonderful introduction, he goes again, oh, I I have to pick you up on one thing. You've missed something. And that was, um, mm. I see, you know, you're holding a pen. This is bad radio, but you're holding a pen as you talk. This is a new style yes. that I uh, picked up uh, following your appearance on Bill and Boz on Fox Sports the other <laughs> night. Is this uh, something, is this, is, this, is this a new look for you? Uh, just to hold a pen just... whenever you're talking? Yeah, it just, just sort of gives the impression that I'm taking notes, even though I'm not. What about the tweed uh, jacket? No, I'm all... not quite sure why you're wearing a tweed jacket, though. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a podcast. Well, no, I thought you explained what happened in the test uh, pretty well. He goes, it, it, test cricket. I mean, five days, four days. It threw up so many storylines, so many narratives mm. to throw that klaxon mm. in there straight away. <laughs> I woke up at 3.30 a.m. this morning, UK time, very much mm. expecting an historic day of test cricket. Mm. I'll say it, and mm. I know it's not uh, popular to, to uh, admit you're wrong, especially in hindsight, which is a huge thing mm. of this week's <laughs> cricket. But uh, I thought that England 
We're going to do it. I just thought everything about what had happened the day before, the uh, momentum that England had wrested violently mm. from Australia, the way the Australians had gifted uh, like a passage back into the game for England meant that uh, you know this was Root's chance to become a hero. I thought all he needed was 100, just that's all he needed. And I thought he was going to do it. Uh, <laughs> instead, two early wickets to Hazelwood by England. They're completely fucked now. Well, David Edwards, did you think you were going to do it? England were going to do it, right? I didn't actually think I was going to start speaking on this podcast. How many minutes have passed? Four or five minutes? (laughs) Good to be with you as always, boys. Uh, No, I mean, honestly, I was hoping desperately that Root would kick on this morning and make something of it and someone could just hang around with him and who knows what could have happened. We were scared, weren't we? We were scared that, um, that the English were going to pull out a miracle. Obviously, they didn't. Um, but it was a test match completely full of moments. I mean, day one, we were giggling mm-hmm. about how silly England was for sending us in. Uh, you know, they were scared of facing Australia mm-hmm. on a juicy Adelaide mm-hmm. wicket. Um, and then there was the other moment where <laughs> Sean Marsh reviewed his LBW decision. That was overturned. He went on to make a, a ton, mm. a historic ton. Mm. Um, then Australia resold England. Then we did decided not to enforce the follow-on. As an aside, I mm. always love how the follow-on is enforced. Fuck, it just makes it sound alpha yeah. as fuck. Um, <laughs> but that was an anti-climax because Australia won the, the match easily and Smith's decision was justified. But, geez, what a test match. What a test match. Mm. Mm. I, I like that you're picking up on this theme of fear because fear really governs all, governs doesn't all. it? I, I want to ask you guys, honestly, as the match kind of turned England's way fractionally as they were kind of three for 170. It was Milan and Root in. I was at work and uh, a lot of uh, my UK colleagues were listening to the show. What did you really want to happen? Like, you know, what do you want deep down as an Australian? Like, do you want a bloody 5-0 whitewash? Um, Good evening, England. Uh, I want every element of you to be destroyed for various Mm. uh, post-colonial reasons Uh, or was there a part of you that thought well it would be great if they squared the series and we can go into a live um you know a live Mm. post-christmas test set of fixtures and 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 get that man cad that we wanted um pat cummins to get what what did i want to be honest like i want you to be honest what did you really want so what i wanted I said openly that I wanted England to win. Like, I really wanted England to win because I thought one all going into Perth. Ben Stokes is going to play in Perth. I think that's... uh Everyone, I don't hear anyone saying that he's going to play in Perth, except for us three. I think he's going to play in Perth. Mm-hmm. So I thought one all going to Perth, like Stokes comes back, and then even though it's obviously horribly out of form from his four and none for in, uh, in New Zealand um, county cricket. Um, but um, I just thought that's what I wanted. But then when Hazelwood took a wicket um, this afternoon with his second ball dismissing the, the overnight batsman Wokes, I did give it a fist pump. I gave mm. it a fist pump. So, like, you know, old habits die hard. Like, like Australia is the team that I want to win the Ashes. But I, I thought openly that I wanted England to win this game, but then I fist pumped reactively. Yeah. So I don't know what to believe anymore. I mean, I'm the same as you, he goes. Like, I wanted one all going into the third test. I wanted competition. I wanted the Ashes to be alive. Mm. But I also, like, made mm. an involuntary yelp last night when, um, you know... <laughs> When, uh, when, you know, a couple of wickets fell, I just found myself, I couldn't help it. There yeah. was something innate and visceral that sparked inside me. I just hate England and I didn't mm. even know it. Um, this Ashes series is really mm. making me despise them even more and more, even though hello to our English listeners. <laughs> yeah, hello to Mark Butcher down the track. I know exactly what you mean, Dave, as well. And now that it's 2-0... 
does that mean it's incumbent upon us to make it 5-0? Like, now that the... I mean, the series is still alive, even though we go to Perth and for all intents mm. and purposes is dead. Um, it's, it's, mm. it's kind of clinically dead, isn't it? Clinically. Uh, without the... Um, yeah. So, so what has it got to become now? Like, does it for it to become a kind of memorable series in any way, shape, or form? Does it have to become five? Is the worst result a sort of three Australia go up three nil and then James Vince scores a big hundred in a dead rubber Sydney Test, which tends to be mm. what happens? What happens now? Oh well, I mean, cricket is a is a binary sport, isn't it? I mean, it's all it's all or nothing. Something's the best <laughs> thing ever or the worst thing ever. So obviously, we need to win five nil for this to be a win from now on. You know, a three-two victory, or or a you know a three-one victory with a draw. It's just not going to be enough for us. It won't satiate us the way that a five-nil whitewash. Uh, we need whitewash to whitewash. We need Daniel Brettig-style destruction of England. So, I mean, without skipping too far ahead, when I mean, we have just summed up the entire series, but like, are we giving England any chance? In Perth, because like Joe Root's come out today and he said that um, in the press conference after the match, and he said that um, what, one thing that has been shown is that England are in this series and they're in it hard. Uh, I paraphrase there just to, to make it Australian, oh, but, uh, but, but he's basically saying that Australia, uh, England are still mm. in the series, but are we giving them any chance at all in Perth? No. Oh, it's pretty difficult to do that now, isn't mm. it? He goes, like, I, I was thinking about this Adelaide test because it became so engrossing, it became easy to forget that. There was a lot about this test match that was in England's favour. Yeah. You know, they won the toss uh, for starters. They yes. were in conditions that were more favourable to them than any other conditions they're yes. going to get in Australia and arguably more fa- more favourable than uh, they were to Australia as well, given mm. when they bowled, etc. Um, you know, they dismissed Steve Smith relatively cheaply, which I suppose isn't a favourable mm. thing. They earned that. Uh, you know, he he probably earned in following on or not. I know we'll talk about that. I mean, he kind of semi-admitted that this evening. Uh, so with that in mind, and Australia still emerging 120-run victors, it's and now going to Perth, which is the most mm. alpha Australian mm. wicket of all. Although, is that a myth? It's a myth. It's a myth. Um, you know, yeah, but, but I guess myths... Myths kind of endure, mm. don't they? If someone says perception is reality, if someone says that it's an alpha Australian wicket, then England yeah. really are in trouble, aren't they? So yeah. I just think if they couldn't do it in Adelaide, gee, it's going to be pretty hard uh, for them to do it in Perth. I mean, and our bowling attack is just so menacing right now. Like I, I don't remember. You got to go back to like the great old days of you know McGrath, Gillespie, Lee to to remember such a penetrating and fast attack. I mean, even Hazelwood. He was bowling in the high 140k range uh, this test, and Australia's three pace bowlers are all kind of near enough to 150k, sometimes even above. Whereas you got Anderson Broad low 130s. That's like a 15 20k difference. Dave, yeah. that, that's seriously substantial. Um, then you got Lyon, who's getting great shape. Our attack just hasn't good, looked this good in years. So. Did I say it's going to be 5 0, 6 0, 7 0? All right, lads, let's, um, let's move on to the sledging. Um, there were too many instances to name individually yeah. in this test match. Um, there was a bunch of just sledging incidents that sort of almost like came to a head last night when um, Tim Payne said words to Joe Root, who Joe Root then like pointed his bat at, um, at Tim Payne, Australia's wicketkeeper, and it looked very aggressive. But, I mean, from my own personal perspective, before I get you guys to jump in here, um, I thought it was fucking great mm-hmm. that England were just like giving it back to Australia because I think like this, so much of this series so far has been just like, oh, like, oh, you're being mean to us. Why are you being mean? And like 
that's not going to win you any friends in Australia. I mean, England are right. Why? Why are you being mean? <laughs> but, but it's just yeah, it's a fair question. I don't think it's it's not going to win you test matches in Australia. Like you have to give it back to Australia, and I think that Australia's reaction to it. Um, is just like, well, hang on a second, we we dish it out, but we don't take it, we don't take it very well. And like Australia's reaction to it was just like, whoa, hang on a second. But I thought it was fucking great when like Broad yeah. was like getting stuck into Hanscom and Anderson was giving it back to Smith and, and whatever else. Um, so I'm, I want to ask you guys, I mean, what do you think about the sledging matchups throughout the game? <laughs> yeah, I think you're completely right in the way you characterise Australian sledging. You know, we'll kick it off and say everything under the sun, but as soon as someone stands up to us, like, what the fuck are you talking about? What'd you say? What'd you fucking say about me? What'd you fucking say about our mates? About my wife? You know, we, you're completely right, he goes. And, like, look, I think there's a delineation that needs to be made. I don't think the sledging makes too much of a difference on field. To, to the kind of quality of the cricket. Mm. But I do think that it's important mm. that if you're playing against Australia that you do stand up to them. You know, even if you lose or whatever, I'd, like I don't think anyone's walking away or any Australians are walking away from this going, oh, look, England shouldn't have sledged. They got distracted. I think they, you do have to do it for your own uh, mm. sense of dignity. Mm. And also let's remember that, like, I think the Ashes is quickly becoming um, less a series in itself home and away and more like who can win by more at home. So even if, like, England lose here 5-0, if Australia walk away from that thinking, well, they are going to take us on and they're not scared of us, yeah. uh, they'll probably beat us at home, you know, and, and yeah. people will enjoy it over here in the UK, you know, in a few years. So they're still they're striking blows two years in advance. <laughs> well, I just think it was a great sledging matchup. And Anderson just has one of those faces, doesn't he? Like, there's just something about his face. And it's the same with Broad. Like they're just such quintessential villains to us, probably because they're you know, they're neatly manicured. They've got good bone structure, and mm. you know we, that intimidates us as Australians. So we want to sledge mm. them even harder. Mm. I actually really liked it when Anderson started fielding at short mid on. Did you see yes. that when he was yes. he was kind of right in Steve Smith's running path as the yes. non-striker? So it really was just one of those annoying passive aggressive things that make cricket what it is. Like you just. You're not only you're just getting in the striker's eye line, but you're also obstructing the non-striker's running path. Like, it's just cricket. <laughs> just being annoying. And you just know that, like, you, you know, they, they turn down the stump marks or whatever, but you'd, like, you'd like to think that the players representing your nation in sledging are winning the battle, but <laughs> the rational part of me just doesn't think that will be the case. I, no. I, I don't really know what they would be no. saying, but I would love I to see, can't like, see... Uh, the Hansard record of what's being said, just written out on a piece of long paper and just go through it, you know, with a cup of coffee and just digest it all. That, that's probably the next step, is it, in this sort of data journalism era? I mean, who's going to do the data journalism or the transcript of, uh, of sledging? I think there's a market for that. Russia, definitely, Pez. Um, I want to ask you guys about sledging. Like, a lot of people, like, the sort of the revert to answer is like it's not a good look for the game because there are kids watching the game but then like as soon as anyone who's 13 plays great cricket the first thing they get like they just get hammered sledging like Mm. do we like I mean somebody please think of the children obviously is a Simpsons quote that we're all thinking but like but who cares about the children really I mean is the game reliant so much that we care about what the children think that these guys can't say like abhorrent things to each other I don't know what my question is but what do you guys think Oh, it, it is amazing how much at like the professional level, clearly they value sledging as a tool yes. to get an edge. Yes. Mm. Like, uh, like, can you imagine making that much money? 
playing cricket and like just literally <laughs> eating cricket balls and hitting cricket balls mm. all the time uh, and being so drilled in like bodily movements for cricket mm. that like Jimmy Anderson, but, but Jimmy Anderson standing at short mid on and getting in your running path, he's actually yeah. going to yeah. distract you. Like that these words can actually yeah. have an impact. Like, doesn't it show how soft we all are really? Yep. <laughs> like if someone sledges you and they think it works, they must like, yeah. it's kind of like tacit admission that, that they think you're like just in, an insecure person. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I don't know, mate. I, although having said that, I still remember the first time I got sledged with a swear word in under 16. So I can't believe it took so long. But playing against <laughs> Parramatta in Greenshield and I got caught at first slip and their captain, as I walked off, said, um, fuck off, prick. <laughs> and I was like, prick? Like, prick is such a word for a uh, for an adult. Yeah. When I was 15. I was like, Slightly oh, I sanitized. At like age yeah. 15. <laughs> uh, I remember when I played against a team from the western suburbs at home and I got out and he told me to fuck off back to the beach. And I was playing in Chatswood. <laughs> like, we were nowhere near the beach. It's he just advice. didn't know uh, I actually recall that game very well, Edos. Um, I want to ask you guys quickly before we move on um, to our next segment, but um, Sean Marsh is a guy who has polarised opinion in many ways. Um, he scored he scored 100, and he's like, he's done it again just to make a binary, um, is that he's now everyone's favourite player. But um, the shot that he played in the second <laughs> innings was, for lack of a better term, yuck. So, I mean, now that he's scored 100, is he going to Prime Minister Australia or is like, what's, what's the deal? Like, where, where, where are we at with Sean Marsh, Pez? Well, I think the first thing uh, that has happened as a result of this is that they've called Mitchell Marsh, his brother, into the side. So yes. I think that's the first benefit he's received <laughs> yeah, is uh, now yeah. your brother can play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if we saw him and, and Hanscom might... Um, Hanscom might make way. So mm. so it's like mm. he scores his 100 and now the selectors love him so much. Like, oh, we can bat with your brother now. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I think that part is good. But I, we got to see... We got to see that just that immaculate cover drive, and then it was completely iced by him straight driving oh. broad over his head for six yeah. to end the game, to that end the innings alpha. not out, and just to walk, yeah. turn his back and walk off. Mm. Uh, you know, it was like it was such a great innings, Shaw Marsh's mm. innings. It was, yeah. you know, it was just, like Australia hasn't scored centuries with meaning for a long time. I feel like a lot mm. of our centuries are sort of second innings or when we really got their, our foot on their throat or it's too easy. Yeah. But, you know, Smith's last test followed by Marsh's under pressure again uh, is something that, like, yet can only applaud. I mean, Sean Marsh, uh, we've actually got a question later in the in the episode, which we might just answer now. It says, did Sean Marsh just alpha the Australian public? And I think he <laughs> did. Like, And he did it in a really quiet, understated way that's just in character for him, which is the best type of alphaing. Like, no words, just actions. He went out there. He knows his game now. He's got a beautiful cover drive. And he just made the most of his opportunity. And now, as he said, he gets to bat with his brother, which is the best thing he can do in cricket. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and if he's Alfred, all of us, we are now therefore his submissive, aren't we? <laughs> That's the only way. That's the way it works, yeah. Someone needs to be Alfring someone else. Binary. And that question did come in from Cameron Orshawn. Thanks for the question, Cameron. So basically, Australia's now has got the, 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 the ball gag in our mouth and Sean Marsh is our daddy. I think that's what we're all saying. Um, fantastic news for this podcast. Is we've got a couple of new sponsors on board this week and uh, you're about to hear a little advertisement that we put in this week and here it is. Meet Muggsy. As he orders a Dutch beer and a Japanese brothel, he checks his exclusively Australian My Cricket stats. But more on that contradiction later. Every morning he crawls out of his single bed in a global world, hungover as fuck, barely noticing his ciggies are German, his yellowing 93 Subaru is Japanese, 
and his favorite protein powder manufactured from the USA. He thinks nothing of chatting with Taiwanese women on OkCupid while attempting to buy a new stick online with an overdrawn UK debit card before getting caught up in yet another email phishing scam out of Nigeria. It hardly registers that he buys his $1 machine coffee from an American-Japanese convenience store, catching up on the cricket scores en route to meet his ex-wife at a solicitor's office in Chinatown. Unfortunately, the truly global nature of Nugsy's world only becomes apparent when he realizes he's wasted his entire life savings on Australian-grade cricket. From rego fees to training kit, new sticks to post-match circuits. Not to mention a debilitating gambling addiction that has literally cost him everything. Lost everything to cricket? Might as well park some coin in a global managed fund that you don't really understand anyway. Columbus, the global investment experts. It's very satisfying to introduce this next bloke to the show. Uh, just some numbers for you because that's all we really are. Numbers, uh, after yeah. all, just numbers. Uh, 71 tests... <laughs> Highest test score of 173, not out. 280 first-class matches, 17,870 first-class runs. He's the first ever test captain we've ever had on the show. Um, but there's more. He's a genuine guitarist and songwriter, uh, not in the Brett Lee Shane Watson mold. He's making actual genuine records, not six and out records. Um, uh, but, but more importantly than all of that, he was one of the very first people to follow the grade cricketer, uh, more important mm. than being England captain, uh, which, uh, which actually gave me a way to show my then girlfriend that I wasn't wasting my life and that this anonymous account had legs. Um, I'm, of course, talking about Mark Butcher. Mark, welcome to the grade cricketer and thanks for liking us. <laughs> oh mate, it's an absolute pleasure. Now you know when I I first saw uh, your posts on uh, on Twitter, it did make me chuckle quite heavily. I, I I don't know whether you know, but I played grade cricket um, for a whole summer for for South Melbourne back when they were at Lake Oval back in '93 '94. Oh wow! So, uh, all all of the stuff all of the stuff you you talk about is uh, is extremely familiar familiar to me, and um, yeah, does cause me to chuckle more than more than once. How did you find your, um, your 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 South Melbourne experience? So was that the first time you'd come to Australia? Or was it was it kind of a crude awakening into Australian men? No, mate. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I I stayed with a great family. Um, the McWhirters, the, uh, the 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 father of, of of which ended up being sort of like a, a convener of selectors for for Victoria. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you know, it was it was just the full. I got the full experience. Damien Fleming was sort of like the the, the 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 state player. Him and Wayne Phillips actually, not the wicketkeeper Wayne Phillips, but the opening mm. batsman. Um, and yeah, you know, and it had all of the characters that you see in the in the great cricket. You know, had the sort of like the the the, the, the journeyman all rounder who'd been around. It played up in Queensland, played everywhere, loved a beer. Was just you know didn't train, but you know would, had had all of the stories and none of the stats. Um, you know a forty odd year old leggy who could who uh, you know, who had glory days abound in the in in, in the past, but um, but was was yeah. again another one sort of selected on on uh, on past glories and stuff. And they were all make really really great guys and. Um, it did. It did wonders for my career, actually. Just uh, that six months over there. 
Oh, mate, that's that's brilliant, and uh, pretty much shows up our research. Uh, perhaps it was hard to come across <laughs> that research because you've done so much in the game since. I mean, while we're on uh, sort of Australian grade cricket, it's the first time we've ever really spoken to an international player, sort of current or former, of um, significant repute. Like, how how would you contrast? Uh, at least amateur or a semi-professional cricket in Australia versus England. I mean, are there, is there a lot of overlap in the, the cultures and the characters that you come across? Or is the stereotype of the crude Aussie player, um, you know, in a, in a league of its own? No, I, well, I don't think so. I mean, you, you guys you guys would like to think so because of, you know, that, that Australian cricket exceptionalism that rings out through uh, <laughs> throughout your, your entire game. Love it. But no, I mean the, the, your your characters are they are they're everywhere. You know they're they're, mm. they're right the way through. Um, you know club cricket and uh, and sort of uh, out sort of, even even overlapping the professional game a little bit as well. But particularly sort of the amateur game. Um, you know that's why it rings so true. That's why that's why it has me laughing as much as it does because all of the all of the stuff. Uh, you know, the, the being selected because uh, because you, you you know you might get might get the odd shag at the weekend or whatever, and all all of those things are all just like they're just they're just one hundred percent cricket, no matter where you are. You know, maybe maybe not in Pakistan, but um, <laughs> but I'm guessing in the sort of the Anglo-Saxon cricketing world, I, I mm. think it's pretty much transferable. Uh, that mate, that that's a wonderful Very answer, good. and so I mean. You do say that everyone's the same. I'm not sure if there's similar kind of self-awareness over here um, like that you're <laughs> able to bring. Um, I just want to, I mean, I wanted to pick up on that, Butch, because, and I will call you Butch, uh, because we've known each other for three minutes. Well, that's but, um, a good point. There's a, there's a fantastic interview between you and Felix White in what was uh, previously known as All Out Cricket. It's now Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Anyone who yeah, hasn't yeah. read yeah. it uh, should get on there and read it. It's, um, it's there. It's fascinating and Felix himself is a guitarist and a songwriter in the Maccabees um, and you're incredibly open about the sort of bloke you were playing cricket and really self-aware of it and I just want to quote one or two things and get and get your thoughts on it um, you said you virtually invented this complete dickhead uh, character who would do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted he's going to have as much fun as he can playing cricket outside of cricket as well and if it lasts it's going to last and I think a lot of guys would identify with that in cricket perhaps not being as good as you were and you also said, and I'll finish in a second, that you decided, uh, you know, that if it means I'm going to be a total, and I will say it here, and I apologise in advance to anyone who's offended, but it's a cricket word, going to be a total cunt, then that's what I'll do. It was a bri- it was brilliant a lot of the time. A lot of the guys would identify with that too. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about this um, alter ego butcher character? Yeah, I mean, the, the, he, he was a he, he was a character that kind of that, that lived me more side of outside of being a cricket player. I mean, I was still, I still when, when I turned up for work, first time being for Surrey, being a team man, not, not, not being a dickhead while I was at work and trying to, you know, all having the same sort of goals while you're playing, that, that, that remained. It was the way I behaved with, uh, you know, with people and the relationships that I had, um, you know, outside of the game that, that, that changed. Because I and and the excuse I make for it, and you know, I kind of hate myself even saying it now, was that if I if I was gonna if I was gonna kind of be the be be the best that I could be, that I didn't I couldn't afford to have time for anybody else's shit, you know. And the, and the, the first time that I the first time I had a go at the international arena, I was I was married, and I kind of you know, and I was not, I was a bad husband and father and those things. 
And you know that part that was kind of part of what brought me down in the first place was that I could, I, I realised I couldn't be you know I couldn't be the, the good the good dad at home do all that kind of stuff and and do what I wanted to do as a cricket player. So I thought, well, I, I need to jack all that side of it in and just and just indulge myself as much as I possibly can in order to to do what yeah. you know to, to get where I want to be as a cricket player. And you know yeah. and that's and that's basically that's basically what I did in the, in the process of doing that. I, um, you know, I sort of resurrected my career, but then also destroyed it at the same time. You know, there was a kind of an arc, and it, uh, you know, by the time I got to the back end of it, I was, I was, a, a, I was a shell of a bloke again. Um, you know, when I, when I ended up outside, when I ended up outside the, uh, you know, the, the international team, um, which was, you know, due to injury more than anything else. But I'd kind of, you know, I was drinking heavily. I kind of, I'd got, I had another, another. Um, you know, had another child with another with another woman that I wasn't seeing. You know, just everything was a complete and utter disaster. So the, the, the same guy that kind of helped helped me in, initially brought me down in the end anyway. So I look back on it. When I look back on it, I just think that there, I'd love to have loved to have had another go. I'd love to have had the sort of perspective that I have on on life and on um, you know on the girls for yourself um, in the way that I had now. But uh, I was I was a mess. I was I was your guy here. <laughs> I was your guy, um, and you know, and in, and, in, and in parts of it, it was great, and in, in a lot of parts of it, you know, you know, guys sort of look back on their careers and sort of say they don't have any regrets, so they wouldn't do anything differently. Well, I do a lot, I do a lot of things differently. Oh. But in like the midst we, of all of that, I had a, I had a great time. It's like we, <laughs> what we say a lot on this podcast is give up everything for cricket or be happy. There's, there's only two. Uh, <laughs> There's only two crossroads there. Take one or the other. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you were dropped. You, right. <laughs> you dropped. You were dropped from the side. I think in 2000 um, for the first time, and you actually found yourself playing seconds at Surrey. And I, I read yep. that you you worked with your father Alan, who himself played a test um, yep. and was a county player of quite a lot of repute to, to kind of sort out your yeah. form. Um, and, and then yeah. you made it back in on the test side for the Ashes in 2001. So I'm just wondering, what did you yeah. kind of work on during that interval period with your dad to get you all the way from second grade to the test side? Because I think all cricketers <laughs> out there are wondering that. Okay, well, first first and foremost, I stopped I stopped having... Uh, uh, I changed everything, really. I, I, didn't, I, I said to him, fathers and sons aren't supposed to work together on things like this. Um, but I said to him, look, I, I need help. Just treat me like I've never played before, and I won't. I won't get in your way, type thing. Wow! Um, wow. And we and it managed to and it managed to work out from there. So literally, like grip stance, backlift, the whole the whole thing. So um, your dad just had this absolute license to treat you as harshly as he possibly could. It wasn't just gentle throwdowns after dinner each night. It was like the full putting you through the works just to get you back in that yeah, test side, just to get me playing well enough that I that I wouldn't quit, that I would enjoy it. You know. Mm. Um, you know the the other stuff happened almost by accident. There were lots of lots of happy accidents that happened along the way, uh, mainly to other people, other people getting injured and things like that. <laughs> um, that meant that I ended up back in the team, but that was never that was not the goal in the first place. Um, you know, and it was and it was brilliant. I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd recommend to I recommend to anybody any sort of grade guy that kind of wants to wants to do something about <laughs> that actually genuinely wants to do something about the way they play as opposed to talk shit about it in the bar afterwards. <laughs> That you know, that, that there is nothing wrong with kind of changing things that you'd always done, you know, because you can do it. You just have to you have to give over quite a bit of time to it, but you, but it can be done and it can it can 
it can pay dividends. Yeah, I, 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 I thought you were going to say there, Butch, that uh, if anyone was struggling with their game, to let their dad break them down and rebuild them back up again. Um, but I'm not sure. <laughs> that's that's what I deduced from that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from everybody. Yeah. Can we? Yeah. Um, you know, you know what? I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, uh, just fast forwarding to the cricket that's just taken place as we speak. Uh, Australia has just taken a two nil lead uh, following uh, the defeat of England at Adelaide. Um, I'm obviously in London. Butch, I believe you're somewhere close by to that as well. Um, when, when, am, you got, am, when you yeah. got up this morning uh, to watch it, did you go straight back to bed? <laughs> well, I would have done had I not been working on the uh, on, on what was an incredibly entertaining five-day um, snore fest between India and Sri Lanka in Delhi. So I had, I had the screen on with the... Uh, I had the screen on with the with the the Ashes Test, and I also had, I was also watching an incredible game of Test match cricket. Isn't it? Isn't cricket a stupid game? Right? <laughs> on the one hand, you've got you know everybody that that loves the Ashes going, oh, you know this this just proves that Test match cricket is the most wonderful game in the world, and um, you know anybody that doesn't love it has got something wrong with their heart. And then on the you know on the <laughs> other side of the world. Um, just the, the worst game that you've ever seen um, yeah. on a terrible pitch, yeah, um, it proving, can be really proving bad. the exact opposite. You know that's you know that isn't that the game? Yeah, yeah. See, that's the alarm going off just to warn you about that game. Don't watch it. Whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, isn't it? I think with this Ashes, you're totally right. Everyone said, look, t- Test Cricket's still alive and well. I do wonder how much people will have enjoyed uh, the kind of scoring at two or two and a half runs and over um, had there not been that kind of uh, tradition of tribalism between Australia and England. You know, that, that half, half the enjoyment of the arm wrestle is um, everything that goes with it contextually between both nations. Um, I was just going to say, Butch, you know, so that we can talk about uh, tactics and what's actually happening in the game and I don't know what it is about this podcast we tend to keep getting um, left hand left handed top order batsmen on the show at Cowan Quiney Rogers um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on England's top order uh, in no, you Australia got, got some, you got some blokes who can really play there <laughs> um, would you would you make any changes to the order or the personnel of England's top order and I, I suppose I include Ben Stokes uh-huh. in that conversation uh, you put you put Ben Stokes back in the side, and it sold it sold a lot. Of but he scored a lot of runs at number seven when he had Stokes above him and Moeen Ali and Chris Wokes behind him. But of course, you, you know Johnny now at seven is kind of hung out there on his own quite a lot. So so that changes. Stokes not being there changes changes his effectiveness there. Um, there you know, there's been a, there's an issue with his top order has been for ages. So. They've been looking for somebody to, to you know, to, to partner as the cook. They've been looking for a, a, a three. They've been looking for a number five. Um, and all of those um, scenarios still hold true, I think. Um, so, you know, with what England, in terms of the spot, Derek Vance could back in, I suppose. Would he do any better than James Vincent, number three? Maybe not. Probably not. Um, and the only other thing to do, the only sort of glaring thing to do, really, is to move Johnny Bairstow to number five. Now, I've been saying mm. he should have five for, for goodness knows how long, for the last two years. That would mean taking the gloves off him and, um, you know, and, and bringing Ben Folks into the... He's a very good probably a debate or something like that. Um, meaning that England would then, you know, leave out James Vince, perhaps. But the other, the, I mean, but the problem is they've got a huge issue with Mo and Ali because Mo's got this, Mo's got this cut in his spinning finger, which means as a bowler he's nowhere near as effective. And I also think number six is a place too high for him. 
So particularly against this this Aussie, you know, this Aussie bowler attack. So there's a, England have got a lot of stresses. And to be honest with you, I've been up all night and I don't have the brain power to kind of figure them out. <laughs> we weren't looking for any quick answers, Butch. We do we do understand there's some deep structural problems there with both sides, not, not just England but Australia as well. Um, just to move away from cricket for a moment, just back to your music. I mean, a lot of cricketers, and, and Pez mentioned that at the start of the show, do fancy them themselves as musicians, uh, most of them being terrible. Brett Lee, Dwayne Bravo, I even think um, when I was preparing for this interview, I came across a, a, a YouTube video with Brett Lee was busking with Kumar Sangakara, and they were singing I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. So, And then I came oh, across nice. your work, which was actually a pleasant surprise because you're a proper musician in the truest sense of the word. And I get the feeling that it might even be a bigger passion for you than, than cricket. Would, would that be right? Well, it certainly is now, mate. You know, I, <laughs> one thing's for sure: I, I'll still, I can still play guitar. So I've come ninety, but I've, I've had more than enough of batting. So, um, yeah, yeah, I've, I've always loved it. Always loved it. Played since I, you know, played since I was probably about twelve years old. Um, always mm. sung, always written. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got. A, I'm working on it. Well, I've finished recording a, my my second solo album. Um, so I'm just waiting for some news about uh, about when that's going to go out. I'm um, involved in various other other projects with other with other guys. You know, it's uh, it's yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? I've, I've hopefully, fingers crossed. From the age of seventeen, I've not had a proper job, and I'm I'm just working on making sure that I don't have one for the next. If I can get away with it for another twenty years, I'm very happy. Oh, that mate, that's awesome, and uh, I do think it, it's it bears repeating that you're actually a genuine musician. You can you can actually mm. do it, uh, and yeah. And, uh, you know, people people should check you out as well whenever they can. Butch, well, that would be very nice. Yeah, <laughs> good. Um, Butch, we'll, we'll move on to the segment of the chat that we like to call Throwdowns. Um, I suspect, you know, you're a long-term listener of the podcast, so you know exactly what we're talking about when we say that. But just in the slight chance you don't, um, we essentially <laughs> wrap the joke up in the question and give you no opportunity to say anything of worth anyway. Um, very self-indulgent. But, yeah. um, you know, like any throwdown, some of them can be half volleys or be uh, low full tosses, which you smash, and others are just... Um, uh, you know, slipped out of your hand or out your head. So yeah. let's see how we go, hey? Nip, nip, nip back and hit you in the, in the middle of the shin with no pads on. Yeah, I <laughs> That's know. a much better yeah. way of saying yeah. it. Yeah. Prepare uh, for 16 of those. Uh, I'll, st- <laughs> I'll start off with, um, it's probably a bit more of a cliche one, but some won't know this. So Dave mentioned your uh, father, Alan, before, a, a Surrey legend in his own right. He offered Steve Smith money to make him a Surrey player when Smith was 18. Uh, it would have excluded Smith from playing for Australia. Uh, is your dad in some sort of witness protection program now? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we we do have some uh, some ties with Russia, so uh, we, we can't talk about it. Butch, if you um if you had to pick one former teammate to do a duet with in the showers post game, who would it be, and why is it Darren Goff? <laughs> Well, he's got lovely blue eyes for a start. <laughs> so it's Pat Cummins. A lot of blue eyes, fast bowlers. I might keep the music uh, theme going, Butch. You, as you said, you started playing guitar at 12. You've had... I've read this on, the, on your website. Eric Clapton once said great stuff mm. about your music. You're, um, you're influenced yeah. by the likes of Al Green, Robert Cray, Freddie King, Mavis Staples, uh, Stevie Wonder, Small Faces, Bonnie Ray. 
you know, you you play with a classy blend of heartfelt blues and soul. Uh, after after twenty years of professional cricket, just how bad are the music tastes of other cricketers? <laughs> oh yeah, they're pretty. It's pretty bad. It is pretty. Bad. Um, we, I know in 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 Australia, they're they're probably as blasphemous to say anything bad about you too, but. Um, the kind of the lack of imagination involved there is just is, is just mind boggling, uh-huh. um, and the England team in teams of the sort of like the late nineties and two thousands, if it wasn't Oasis, it didn't exist either. So it, you know, life yeah. was life was orally was pretty tough as well as getting shunted by Australia every time. <laughs> I mean, who's got the best music taste? I mean, you mentioned playing with um, Damien Fleming at South Melbourne. I think he's a bit of a metalhead. Who's kind of had the most unusual yeah, yeah. musical influences of the, any cricketer that you've played with? Um, well, I mean, uh, all the most cerebral. Like, uh, is there any kind of jazz aficionados? Um, well, Henry Henry Alonso is a is, a, is an opera singer. Oh, right, he is, isn't he? Henry Alonso. Yeah, yeah. Henry Alonso is an opera singer. Um, <laughs> any jazzers? Not really. No, I mean, I'd probably I, I, out of the guys I know, I'd probably got more jazz LPs than anybody else. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Probably. Just, you know, Mike, yeah. Mike Atherton, this may or may not be true, but Mike Atherton was a massive fan of the Venger Boys. Oh, <laughs> I think that's probably definitely true. We're trying to get him on the show. <laughs> we'll have to cross-reference this with him. That was actually, that was my next question. I, I've also read that one thing you took away from your school days was a love of reading, speaking of all things cerebral, uh, that you read anything and everything, and you love Graham Greene. And um, you've also said that Mike Atherton yeah. used to throw books at you. Is that a figure of speech, or is that a kind of a very Mike Atherton <laughs> way of being aggressive? <laughs> Well, no, nah, you know that that was uh, that was the way we used to call when running between the wickets. Is just lob a novel at me. Arjuna uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Ranatunga had a snack, according to Ian Healy. You had Graham Greene novels. Yeah, yeah, just twentieth century literature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I mean, did call him the penguin? Boom, boom. Did did this ever rub anyone up the wrong way? I mean, being a musician and someone who's into literature on tour. I mean. What what do the other blokes think of this? I mean, Athers aside, if someone walked in the dressing room and you were you know elbows deep in a Graham Greene novel, how did how do people react to that? Of mice and well, men. I mean, Athers, Athers would have been pretty pretty happy with that. I mean, you know, most of the guys kind of have their have their thing. You know, there there was a there was a period of time when um, in the first sort of half of my England career, so guys would take guitars away on, on tour. Mm. Um, yep. Funnily enough, when they were doing that, I didn't. Because I just no, I just couldn't couldn't be dealing with it. But guys like John Crawley and Alan Mullally were teaching themselves. Um, we had a physio called Wayne Morton who played. So you know there, there were lots of guys who were they were um, you know trying to trying to uh, amuse themselves sort of off off the field. Um, yeah. But no, no, I don't think so. But, you know, guys on on trips in particular tend tend to tend to um, understand that everybody needs to have their space a little bit. So no, I can relate. Know to what you're saying there, Butch. I mean, uh, even though I'm not a very talented musician at all, I I do play a little bit of guitar and it's something I enjoy and I often try to ingratiate that into my own cricket, especially before I entered grade cricket where that kind of thing is considered rare. Um, I remember busking on a school cricket tour in the UK and Stratford-upon-Avon, the home of William Shakespeare. That's how rare I was, playing guitar outside (laughs) Shakespeare's house on a cricket tour. (laughs) It was a loot, was it? You You were trying to... Trying to attract fair maidens from a balcony or something. Yeah. 
exactly uh, what I was doing. This is so different to the Brad Hogg interview. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> would you, sorry, Hoggy, if you're listening out there. Um, no doubt you're not. Yeah. Um, on the ball machine, probably still. Uh, you, you're a commentator, Butch. Um, so just a, just a straighter one here. You know, are, are Graham Swan's impressions as good as he thinks they are? <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they've gone down well, haven't they? Um, I've, I've seen literally no people on, on Twitter have, saying how wonderful they are. Um, I, you know, the thing is, actually, in, in uh, I, I've, I've been on sort of various trips with Swanee, uh, sort of golf golf trips and whatever, and you call puts and things like that, and he hasn't. He literally does have them rolling around. Um, after after quite a lot of drugs, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, no, and he is he is genuinely quite funny. But it's just it's one of those things on a, on particularly you know the old lip mics and whatever. I don't that stuff doesn't translate particularly well. I don't think in the commentary box, or at least it hasn't yet. You know, maybe people are going to have to take a bit of a while before they get used to it. Well, it's an interesting thing, Butch. I mean, there, there's a serious element to it as well, and I shouldn't just uh, it, you know Graham Swan impressions is a really low and easy target. One of the reasons I say it, and we we ask a lot of people on this show who have commentary experience, um, is uh, that a lot of these guys who are commentating, and I know you're one yourself, um, they have actually like really wonderful cricket brains, and they can say like they, their analysis is excellent. And I'd say that of Graham Swan as well. Like I love listening to him talk about cricket. He knows uh, spin bowling especially really well, but he also you know his his yeah. views on sledging and the effectiveness of uh, of on field verbal stuff. Uh, I think he's really kind of he's quite sophisticated as well. But there's clearly this element about commentary yeah. where producers must be prodding you to continue the kind of light entertainment. So not only do you have to be an expert in the content of what you're looking at, but you've also got to be this kind of like, uh, you know, Jimmy Carr, um, uh, you know, kind of late night TV guy as well. It must be, must be difficult to combine entertainment with analysis. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not something, listen, I, I kind of, I'm old school in terms of I, the, the, the people that I remember or, you know, the voices that I remember in the summertime, um, you know, were, I, I suppose, I mean, Brian Johnson, John Arlott, I would have been very young at the time, but it, that sort of style of, of commentary whereby you're you're trying to augment the pitches as much as you can and yes there's there's time for a bit of bit of humor and a bit of banter and whatever but generally speaking um you know richie's old thing about trying to stay out of the way a little bit you know i, I kind of that no matter no matter what the sort of the the pressure might be or the sort of like the current thinking on it i, I still that always is in my head when I'm when I'm doing it, um, and so listen. I think there's a I think there's a there's a place for place for for that and for the old old school way of doing it, and there's also a place for the new school way of doing it. I just you know there are times, particularly in a test match, you know it's a it's a long old game, and, and the, the spaces in between are are just as as, as important. I think is um, you know constantly constantly assaulting the uh, the viewer's ears. So I think you need to be careful with that. Just one last one here, Butch, and we'll leave the throwdowns for another day. But while I was listening to your music today, I couldn't help but notice that your YouTube username is MB173. Now, this is obviously a self-indulgent <laughs> reference to your 173 at Headingley in the 2001 Ashes series. Am I correct? 
You might well be correct. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't <laughs> pretend that that was the only one that I had that was left. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one seven two. Yeah. Already. Yeah. I thought you might be looking at seventeen eight seventy, which was your first class runs as well. But uh, one seven three would have to suffice. Can I wonder if was you it? Can... Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> yeah we are numbers yeah that's all we are it's all we, it's all we'll ever be uh butch thanks so much for joining the grade cricketer uh you certainly lent a level of um brain power to it that uh, has probably been sorely lacking for quite a while and we really appreciate having someone on from um uh you know who isn't australian <laughs> uh, so um hopefully this can be start of a uh, long and prosperous run of guests from other places but um appreciate you following us from so early on as well no worries. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pass the word around. So if you uh, will get, will encourage others to get on there, and also everybody to follow the great cricketer because it's uh, it's good stuff. Oh, good on you, mate. <laughs> Athers is next. If you're Thanks, listening, Athers, use that as a soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great stuff. It can be hard to leave grade cricket. The relentless nudity, champing, and macho horseplay can have a debilitating, lasting effect. Hi, darling. How was your day? Yeah, not bad, bud. Can you please stop calling me bud? So when you do call time on your eight-year, barely memorable career, you need all the help you can get. That's why we started the Grade Cricket Rehabilitation Centre. Using state-of-the-art cognitive behavioural therapy, the Grade Cricket Rehabilitation Centre will help you reintegrate back into normal society just like your family wanted. Hello, darling. How was your day? Good, good, thanks. And and how was yours? It was wonderful. You're coming along so well. Yeah, cheers, champ. Oh, wait, wait. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help. The Grade Cricket Rehabilitation Centre. There is a way out of this. Hashtag AskTGC. Wow, it's been an amazing show this week and some of our new sponsors have been wild, exciting and every other adjective that you can think of. Um, if you want to uh, take the time to get in contact with us, uh, if you want to slide into our DMs, if you want to follow us on social media, the Instagram machine, the Twitter machine, the Facebook, always use the hashtag AskTGC. It makes it a lot easier for us to find you. Um, of course... Tea and No Sympathy is out in bookstores right now. I, t- I tell you every week, but you, you want to get this before Christmas because it's going to sell out before Christmas. So if you want the book, fucking get it now. All right. Lachlan Hancock <laughs> writes in and he says, using the hashtag ICJC, what's the point in training chest and pipes religiously if you don't go shirtless on Bill and Boz? Um, that's mm. a really good question, Lachlan. Um, and I tried to go shirtless, but um, the producer said that uh, I had to put a shirt on because yuck. So that's what he said. Um, Dave Mathers, mm. hashtag AskTGC. Hey, guys, I am struggling with the ladies, and I think it's my flavour of salad. Currently, i got long curly leaves <laughs> that reach my shoulders. Any ideas for new flavours of salad that will help me with the chicks? P.S. I got pipes, bowl part-time offies, and hit a long ball. Right. Yeah, salad's really getting up there with Alpha and Champ, mm. isn't it? Mm. Yeah, in the uh, mm. in the word cloud of TGC, <laughs> I don't, there's something about just the sheer incongruity of like a bowl of salad and hair yeah. that still gets me. Uh, I, I don't know. 
And I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask anyway, for obvious reasons, reasons, reasons we've already discussed. Flavors of salad, I don't know, like ranch or like balsamic vinegar. Like what's the latest salad rocking the airwaves in grey cricket anyway? Like a high top fade? I honestly don't know what, what people are wearing in grey cricket these days salad wise. But you've got pipes and you, and you hit a long ball, so you don't need a salad. You got enough. Yeah, Relax. Do we need to talk about Michael Clark's new salad that he's rocking on the Channel One commentary? Yeah, I think so. That's, that's yeah, a I think sick we need fade to. he's got. Rocking. Sick fade. He was always different, wasn't he, Pup? That's what we had to understand. He was part of the new generation. He wasn't like the other captains, old Pup. He didn't he didn't he didn't, he didn't get in the, he didn't drive up in his truck his, his ute and drink his VB with a case of 4x in the back two different beers I think that's what we we're told to accept and and this is the case with his high fade salad All right question asked and answered Liam Maroney says grade cricketer just as a keeper wearing short sleeves is punishable under criminal law and the champs deserve to rot in hell with Satan for all eternity. Is there anything worse than a top-order bowler wearing long sleeves? These allies of Lucifer seem to occur in T20. Hashtag AskTJC. Dave, um, bowlers with long sleeve shirts. Thoughts? Mm, mm. What is a top-order bowler? Like, I've never heard anyone. Like, what the fuck is <laughs> Very that? Good. Like, I'll just pick him up right there. Um, as a top older bowler myself, I always wore short sleeves, mainly just to get a bit of sun ahead of the Saturday night circuit. That's the only way you can do it. You wear long white clothing for most of the day. So how else are you going to get any uh, sun on those pipes, eh, boys? <laughs> we would just have – this is like a call centre, is it? We like literally just have a sheet up in front of us about how to yeah. deal with every scenario. It's all scripted. To deal yeah. with pipes and uh, levers and salads. I, I take a different view with this on long sleeves. Like I, it, it sort of seems decidedly like English to me. I like the idea of – I just think long sleeves is kind of – is high fashion in cricket sen- in the cricket sense, and you could probably mm. y- you kind of identify as somebody as somebody who can move the ball around a little bit. You might think a little bit differently about the game. Mm. Like, like if an older kind of seasoned player came on to bowl at me with long sleeves and they had a decent enough rig, I'd be thinking they they can make the ball talk. Mm. I think if you have a a big chest and pipes, you should wear short sleeves as a top order bowler <laughs> but if, you, if you're kind sentence. of long and lanky mm. then then a, then a long sleeved shirt looks mm. good you know like on like an andy caddick mm. or someone mm. like that yeah good, good question allies i don't think they're allies of lucifer i only faced two bowlers in my career who had long sleeves one was saklan mushtak and that is a heavy name drop you know what he did he chucked it the other guy who uh, was a was a was a medium pacer, and he also chucked it. If you're bowling with long sleeves, it means you're chucking it. That's what they're doing. They're masking. They're cheating, yeah. Yeah. Liam. So thanks for asking, um, Steve Stevens, great cricketer. Has anyone ever seen Sam Perry and Chris Rogers in the same room together? It's the same voice on both people, or the same person in both voices. It's uncanny. Pez, are you Chris Rogers? Well, I can see, I guess, where Steve is coming from. Uh, you know, former opening batsman, athletes, um, chest pipes, colorblind, uh, cricket analysts. Um, but uh, yeah, you know what? Can I? I'll, I'll, I'll see you, your Sucklane Mushtak name drop, and I'll oh, semi raise you. That's exactly what Pat Cummins said to me after I interviewed him. He's like, mate, you sound exactly like Chris Rogers. And I was like, I guess I'll take it. With grand, with grandstand and whatnot, he's, he's on there. Are you happy with that? 
No, he doesn't voice? have a baritone voice. He doesn't, and I'm insecure about my voice. <laughs> 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 yeah. John Lennon hated his own voice too, though, in my defence. I don't even know whether to kind of own this. Every time I own this insecurity, I kind of fire back with something as well. This is the, the great duality yeah. of being a cricketer. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm vulnerable yeah, about it. Wait, John it. Lennon yeah. hated it too, so... I'm John Lennon. I think in some capacity, people listen to this podcast because we represent the everyman, you know, and so far we've name-dropped in the last 35 seconds Sakai Mushtaq, Pat Cummins, and yeah. fucking John Lennon. So, yeah, okay. We're just the voice and of the people. Bill Woods. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, some sports nuffy. This is actually a really fascinating question, and I want to get both your opinions on this, so, so one at a time, please. Uh, to any dream interpreters out there, what does it mean when Toadie from Neighbours is ironing my whites? Is it referencing a good spread at T or my slow running between wickets? Hashtag Ask TGC. I don't know, mate. I, like, I'm not. I'm not a dream interpreter. When he, when he said Toady, I, I immediately think of that Uber Eats ad that's out at the moment. Here's you wouldn't have seen this. You're in London. Toady's no. in a, a new Uber Eats ad where he's sipping a pineapple by the pool in like some hotel dressing mm. gown, and he's waiting on his delivery from some. Some tie joint in Newtown. His rig is just not looking good. I'm not trying to body shame the bloke, but <laughs> the Lord knows my rig could use some work. But fuck me, Toady from Neighbours, get your rig yeah, in check. It's, a, it's it's one of the better like cricket dreams, I guess you could have. But um, when I think of Toady from Neighbours, I just think of that great kind of swipe over mid wicket he played in the opening <laughs> credits of Neighbours as well mm. in the street game. Was Carl Kennedy was bowling all- that? Yeah, I think so. And there's a lot of uh, people crowded around the bat and he just absolutely leathers one with no footwork at all, just all eye. And I'm pretty sure it goes into Carl Kennedy's backyard. So, you know, he's probably Alfred Carl Kennedy there. And uh, if he's ironing your whites, then I think that's a pretty good sign. Thomas David writes in, he says, Good morning, TGC. I'm writing to seek advice on how I should handle an attempted alphering. I have a surname that is a common first name. So if it is not uncommon at the workplace for me to get emails where people will address me by my surname. I've been at my job now for about seven months and it's going well. One one person, though, who sits about 10 metres from me and constantly calls me by my correct name to my face every single time he emails me and addresses me by my surname. Our emails have our photo on them, so he must know I am the same person. What should I do? Is he offering me successfully? Is he trying to make a point that he doesn't care about my name? Or is he a bit insecure, the new guy, 20 years his junior, maybe gaining more traction in the company and could quickly leap over him in the hierarchy, therefore he is trying to bring me down, back down to earth, by clearly displaying he doesn't care about my name? Any advice on how to handle this would be much appreciated. Cheers, (laughs) Tom. P.S. He's South African, if that makes any difference as to how I should approach this. (laughs) Thanks for letting us know. That changes everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pistorius. It's an interesting one, he goes. Um, I wonder whether he spent a lot of time in Japan because over there they address others by their last name. Um, I know that because I worked across East Asia for a few years and the family name always comes first in right. those cultures when addressing others. Mm. It's pretty much the rule across East Asia in general. So calling someone by their first name is actually rude in some circumstances. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you use the suffix san. David San. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's what we all wondered when we read this question, <laughs> whether, whether it's Japanese. Uh, yeah, I, I think Thomas has well round, like well-founded fears yeah. about this. And I think one of the worst brands of alphaing is the kind of unintentional alpha mm. as well. So I think, or like the subconscious alpha. Mm. So I do think that this person is alphaing him by just mixing up his names back and forth. But it's more of a mix-up mm. than just a deliberate alpha issue. Uh, but still under, underlying it all is his disinterest in getting Thomas's name right. Mm. And I think that's where he needs to be worried. I find this fascinating because, like, I think there could be a few levels here, though, boys. Because, like, he there's a photo involved in his email, so he so Thomas David is telling us via the hashtag RCGC that this person knows who he is. He, he mm. it's the same person. He sits ten meters from him. He's a new guy, and he's yeah. like the, he could be worried. Like, you can't be Alfred if it's an honest mistake. That's what I'm offering. Like, offering is like subverting someone deliberately. <laughs> Like that's what it is. Like, as we know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but uh, there's like, uh, it's a slippery slope with the honesty of mistakes. Like sometimes mm. he might just be making. This is what I'm trying to say. Like he might just be making a mistake <laughs> without caring, and it's the non-caring that's the alpha uh, right. expression going on. Yeah. So uh, the honesty of the mistake is at play, and maybe Thomas needs to uh, send him this exact question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, deal with it head on. But what I'm saying, Pez, if he, if he if this guy deliberately doesn't care. That's that's alpha. If he if he doesn't care about Thomas David as a person, then like that's an alpha yeah. move. Like even if it's accidental, he doesn't care. <laughs> the fact he doesn't care about other human beings, as South Africans, as we know, tend to do. That's just broad and ridiculous. Oh no! I don't know. <laughs> Come on, man. I don't and know. the emails <laughs> apparently is this guy's this company's emails. They have their photo on them. Like where is is the email kind of like a small kind of like a, a little one kind of in the corner, or is it like a big yeah. kind of email signature size infographic at the bottom? Like mm. how visible as his face in the photo is what i'm saying there there's a lot of variables and perhaps thomas should write in next week with an extended question and we can answer it again and waste everyone's time for another six minutes <laughs> i mean if there's any if there's anything we learn from this is that like the uh, phenomenon of alpha is a like a very rich complex place uh, and it will take us years to try and unravel it but we try our best thank you thomas david shane <laughs> shane Herbs writes in he says, who is more alpha? The first grader who's a bit of more of a rare unit, has a sloppy rig and, a small, and small bodily features, or a fourth grade rigosaurus with serious chest and pipe game, is a renowned chop artist and has the big hands and hung piece combo. The principle, oh <laughs> the principle of be good or fuck off implies that it's the first grader. However, our broader celebrated definition of masculinity in Western society hints at the fourth grader. I'm at a loss. However, I think it is. uh, I think this paradoxical hypothetical is exactly that. As we all know, that if you have levers and a good chop yarn to spin, you at least play twos. And if you're a pipeless rare specimen, you'd have about as much contact with the ones as you do with your dad. Fucking none, champ. Thoughts? That's a really interesting question, Shane. I'm still reeling from some of the phrases this guy yeah. has used. Rigosaurus? Yeah. A fourth grade Rigosaurus. Yeah. <laughs> Big hands and hung piece combo. Hung piece combo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reeling. You can't I'm tell genuinely me reeling like that, from that. A chop artist as well. There's, there's, there's artistry in the chopping. I always thought it was mm. just a okay. kingdom. 
the chop kick. But let's but let's try to let's let's try to get to Shane's point here. Like, who is more alpha? Is his question the first grader who is mm. is nothing, or the lesser cricketer who plays four? But he's like he's got a rig. He's got a he's got a, he's got the big hands hung piece combo in his words. Um, so, who's, whose eyes I mean, who's is the, the who's alpha? judging the alpha? Is this just in in the 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 onlooker, like, or a person in the club who's determining this well, decision we on are. who is more we're, alpha? We're now the arbiters of alpha. But we're, yes, we're the arbiters is our of side alpha. Band. Yeah, side we're not involved in the in the club or the scenario. Or we don't know any of the individuals in this situation. So, I don't know how well qualified we are to. Oh, obviously, we'll have a crack, boys. Yeah, hmm. I mean, look, this hits a little bit close to the bone for me, as um, a former first grader who was a rare unit I would say and I definitely had and still have a sloppy rig and, and certainly I'd like my bodily features to be bigger um, so I, when I first read it I, I saw myself in it and um, but what I can say honestly is um, it, the, whether I'm more alpha than a fourth grade rigosaurus it's you know I've never been able to answer that. <laughs> I'm just picturing one of those like wax Tyrannosaurus rigs. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> what are we doing on this podcast? Oh, Is this the end? Of course. Is this the end? I don't know. You know I always like worry. I always worried about. about those fourth grade rigosauruses, you know. You know how like test players talk about like they know when it was the end for them. Like, have, yeah. has, has have you just reached the point? <laughs> you just found it. Can we delete the account tonight? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> think about it. Think about it. Uh, Shane, I thought it was a wonderfully worded question. We don't have an answer for you. It's Pez is crying now, and he's left the show. Um, Dave's shaking his head. And what better way to finish this at the end of the second Test match of the Ashes series? Australia winning two 0 That seems like a long, long time ago now. Enjoy the rest of your week. We've got a bumper show next week. We, we can't give too much away right now, but it's going to be huge. Hope you join. Hope you join us then. See you next week.